0: My name is Mustafa Akwand, I'm here with my co-host Senge Shearing in another episode of Human Rights Sentinel. Today we have Mr. Arif Jamal here. He's a journalist, author, political commenter from Pakistan, Punjab uh, province. Two of his well-known books are Shadow War, The Untold Stories of Jihad in Kashmir, and Call for Transitional Jihad. The Shikari of Pakistan have received the global recognition, and he is the associate of Harvard University, New York University, and University College of London. Mr. Arif, thank you for joining us. Uh, it is pleasure to have you in our episode. Thank you for
1: having me. Actually,
0: you know, having those great books and ta- uh, writing about uh, war and untold stories. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey to coming and writing those books and your your expertise. The
1: idea to write these books or to research these subjects uh, came when I realized, as a journalist, that the Pakistani media turns a blind eye to the issues uh, uh, that are really, really critical to. The region and uh, since uh, afghan jihad had come to an end uh, there was some sort of religious uh, uh, some there was a spike in religious uh, violence in pakistan and i realized that uh, no pakistani media was uh, ready to to discuss these sub- subjects and uh, Uh, publish my articles the the way I wanted them to. And then I realized that uh, I should do deep research on these subjects. So that is how I started researching. I also uh, published some of uh, my findings in in the Pakistani media to the extent they could uh, take it. And uh, all my uh, all these articles I published in the Pakistani media for almost 10 years missed one point and that point was the role of Pakistan's military in uh, waging jihad in the region and uh, uh, helping uh, grow the terrorist groups uh, inside the country this is how I started
2: my research that's, that's really interesting Yeah, I think uh because Pakistan's entire uh, strategic uh, the paradigm is uh, focused on on in, interference and infiltration in Kashmir, and then later it's also you know added Afghanistan to it in the 1970s and 80s, and uh, the human right aspects associated with uh, militancy and terrorism are often ignored because we try to glorify all these. Uh, you know, wars uh, in the name of Islam and as a service to Islam. And I think, you know, what you have done is a great service because there was there was so much media blackout that, you know, it was not going to come in the forefront if people like you were not really writing about it. So, um, uh, I mean, it, it seems like, you know, your focus had remained Kashmir for a long time. Tell us something about, like, you know, what is Pakistan doing in in Kashmir to promote its strategic interests?
1: Well, uh, from the very beginning, uh, Pakistan uh, laid claim uh, on Kashmir, which was uh, not really foreseen in the partition plan given by the British and uh, accepted by both uh, the Congress uh, and All India Muslim League. But uh, Pakistan was not succeeding in kashmir in any way uh because the uh, kashmiris uh, uh followed uh, mostly Kash- i I'm, i mean kashmiri muslims followed uh, uh sheikh abdullah who was not in favor of uh, uh, pakistan and uh, the real uh, success of pakistan army came when uh, uh there was some alienation in the 80s after the 1987 elections in Kashmir when uh, they realized that they could uh, uh, recruit some people and uh, do some violence, uh, some terrorism in Kashmir and uh, bring, uh, attract international attention to, to the situation in Kashmir and they started recruiting uh, the disgruntled youth from the Valley of Kashmir. Uh, The initial plan envisaged something like uh, 50 to 100 uh, young people from uh, uh, the Valley who would be trained in uh, the Pakistani controlled uh, Kashmir and would be sent back. But what happened? Uh, when they started uh, inviting these uh, uh, discredited youth from the valley, they realized that there are not dozens or hundreds. There were thousands of uh, young people who were ready to come to Pakistan. And uh, within a year in uh, 80, from 88 to 90, uh, late 88 to early 90, uh There were thousands of uh, young people from the valley of Kashmir who came to Pakistani Kashmir to get training. And there was chaos in the Pakistani controlled Kashmir also. Uh, So, this is how the jihad in Kashmir started.
0: Uh, What is, you know, based on your expertise and what you are doing, what is the main reason of this young generation? Uh, joining those wars and joining this conflict that is creating a chaos in the in the region rather than solving anything uh so i am not sure if i got your question correctly can you please repeat so there so there is uh there is a lot of issue and the conflict is happening and the young generation right now is is not you know uh old generation is getting involved in this uh conflict and war and joining those terrorist groups what is your intake on, on the reason of this uh, young generation joining those terrorist groups? And what, the, what
2: is draw, What is drawing yeah. them towards uh, militancy and terrorism rather than, you know, joining some, uh, I don't know, an institute learn a skill and, you know, become uh, professionals and, you know, have a different uh, set of skills?
1: Well, uh, if we are talking about the young people from, Uh, young Muslim uh, boys from uh, the Valley of Kashmir in the 1980s, 1990s, uh, then we see that uh, uh, Sheikh Abdullah had uh, been compromised and uh, uh, they had nobody else to look uh, to uh, for guidance and uh, uh, the Indian policies, they had alienated those people so muslims in uh, the state of jammu and kashmir uh, were really alienated uh, from uh, the indian um, government and they looked towards uh, pakistan maybe that could uh, help them uh, get uh, again in independent the earlier People who came to Pakistan for training were looking for an independent Kashmir and not for annexation with Pakistan. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the in a year or two, uh, Pakistan uh, actually suppressed all those uh, groups, uh, including JFK, JFK uh, sorry, Jammu and Kashmir Liberation Front, and. Uh, Uh, Instead, promoted jihadists. And this is how they turned a a struggle for independent Kashmir into a jihadist movement, which aimed at annexation with Pakistan. Uh, In the beginning, it was uh, alienation with India, but then there was a lot of money which attracted people from the valley and uh, other parts of the state. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the 90s, Pakistan also started training Pakistani young men to go and wage jihad because uh, they realized that uh, it wouldn't be possible for them to uh, continue attracting uh, people from uh, Jammu and Kashmir. And one day, they will... Uh, they will turn their uh, backs on them.
0: Right.
2: And how groups I was, like Taba came up. I was reading an article by Dr. Taki, uh, and he wrote that one of the reasons why lashkar e which is mainly an anti-Shia organization in Pakistan, has so much leverage is because they have a very close working relationship with the Kashmiri militants. And they are very useful in recruitment when it comes to, you know, working with the Pakistani military. So my question to you is, Arif Jamal, is that when the militants, you know, they, they go and infiltrate in Kashmir, usually it is assumed that they would attack non-Muslims like Sikhs and Buddhists and Hindus. But is it also possible that they would be attacking Shias in Kashmir? Are there any instances or any like, stories that you could share with us about Shia persecution by Pakistani militants?
1: Yes, two points. First of all, uh, the terrorist groups like Lashkar Jangri or sipahi Sahaba, which have been working with different names and uh, Lashkar Taiba, Uh, They are all Sunni and uh, different uh, shades of Sunnism. Uh, They all have connections with jihad in Kashmir. And this is one of the reasons uh, they were allowed to grow in Pakistan. Even Pakistani Taliban, they are also... uh, uh, also have uh, links with the jihad in Kashmir. Uh, From the very beginning, Pakistan uh, uh, suppressed any Shia organization to grow in Kashmir. There was one um, uh, small group, uh, Shia group, and um, uh, they always, it was, Actually, at the sh- showcase boy, they just wanted to uh, tell people that they uh, they do not work on sectarian grounds. But Shias were not given the kind of uh, uh, money others were receiving. And uh, many of the uh, uh, groups uh, attacked uh, Shias in, uh, inside Kashmir Valley and elsewhere. Uh, but I think... Uh, uh, before the end of uh, uh, end of the century, uh, the Shias were actually out of the heart in
2: Kashmir.
0: So, uh, m- my question is that is this uh, the movement that is going to you know against the Shias? The, how much of it you know, based on your, uh, your experience and your opinion? Is how much of it is the result of political uh, issue between Pakistan and Iran and other countries, or is is mostly about the you know religious based and uh, you know some of those terrorist groups considering uh, Shia as an infidel or kafir and you know taking that duty among themselves to uh, wipe out the uh, the region from the infidels as they claim. Well,
1: uh, part of the reason is uh, the rise of Islamic Iran, but uh, uh, that is not really uh, the main reason. Uh, in Pakistan, there was a a huge, huge uh, protest in 1980. I think it was in July 1980 when Ziaul Haq was uh, ruling the country. Uh, uh, by shias and that has been probably the biggest protest in the history of uh, pakistan uh, which literally um, shook the government so after that event uh, the government had to give in uh, to the to some of the demands of the Sh- pakistani shias but at the same time they realized that uh, they will have to uh, to keep the Pakistani Shias under control, and they were turning blind eyes uh, to uh, to terrorist groups which were targeting Shias. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you raise such groups, uh, they 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 actually uh, they could fulfill their hidden desires and. The Shia Sunni schism is very old, but uh, it mostly uh, remains uh, dormant. but in a situation where the Sunnis rise, they actually express their uh, their, uh, their awakening by uh, targeting Shias right. So both. The scriptural issue and Iranian connection.
2: Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Um, recently, I think Pakistan is um, uh, under a uh, 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 process of negotiation uh, with the uh, Pakistani Taliban, also called tehreek e taliban and pakistan (TTP). And I think what they're trying to do is trying to minimize attacks on Pakistani soldiers and other law enforcement agencies by TTP. And uh, in return, I think they are trying to negotiate with the, the TTP and um, provide them with probably a little bit more space. Do you think this uh, uh, negotiations that, you know, Taliban are trying to have with the Pakistani uh, government will be a success? and uh, what will be the impact on Pakistani society if the negotiations become a success?
1: Uh, In the short term, they may uh, succeed in convincing the TTP to stop uh, targeting Pakistani soldiers, but in the medium term, probably it wouldn't be possible. Um, This... The TTP is actually uh, negotiating uh, in with the army in order to have a breathing space and, uh, uh, and a situation where they can uh, uh, regroup and uh, come back with a vengeance. Uh, it will simply... Um, increase uh, terrorism inside Pakistan, uh, and Pakistani army is uh, definitely ready to pay this price if the TTP helps them in, uh, in getting out uh, jihad in uh, the Indian part of uh, Kashmir. Uh, I see a very, very um, bleak future uh, for Pakistan because uh, The Pakistani military has not learned anything and uh, the return of the TTP will uh, bring uh, a situation very similar to what happened in uh, 2009 when uh, uh, the Pakistani Taliban were uh, knocking at the doors
2: of Islamabad. So basically what you're saying is that, you know, such kind of negotiations give a um, short-term, quick fix uh, to the Pakistani government. But in the long run, it it kind of like, you know, allow uh, the Taliban to uh, spread their influence in the society, uh, create more space for recruitment, and uh, make connections with other uh, local extremist organizations for funding. Uh, as well as, you know, then uh, obviously you would agree that, you know, it creates a problem for the minorities, too, because then they will uh, restart what, you know, was happening about 10, 11 years ago when they were attacking non-Muslims as well as Shias and others in, in, within Pakistan. So um, it might uh, create some kind of, uh, you know, breathing space for the Pakistani military, but not for the society in, in, in general. Um uh, and, and, you know, what is the role of the Pakistani parliament? Do you think they will go with it? or Because in the end, you know, I think it's, uh, they will be the one who will be taking the blame.
1: Yes, absolutely you are right. And uh, one thing we must not forget is that these jihadi groups, uh, uh, they do not uh, look at Pakistani military as permanent allies. They think that they are... Uh, as infidel, as infidels they are fighting. Otherwise, but they are ready to have a tactical short-term alliance with them because that helps them grow uh, and uh, achieve some of their it's While as far as the Pakistani politicians uh, and the parliament are concerned, they they are so powerless that they will simply rubber stamp. Uh, whatever the military uh, says we have seen that in uh, 2014 uh, when uh, they attacked the uh, uh, army public school in Peshawar uh, there was uh, the military came up with a, a, a the national uh, peace plan and the parliament simply uh, uh, simply rubber stamped it and we have seen that uh, uh, it was a temporary uh, respite for pakistan and uh, the jihadi terrorist infrastructure remained intact they did not and could not uh, attack the the, the jihadi in- infrastructure and now with the return of the taliban the they have started reviving that uh, terrorist uh,
0: infrastructure. So Mr. Arif, you know, looking at the broader picture of the situation, uh, if these jihadist groups and terrorist groups are growing in Pakistan and will eventually be a threat to the to the government as well, Mm -hmm. as a, you know, international committee and the countries who are claiming, quote unquote, that they are doing their best to defend the human rights and you know go against the terrorist groups why we don't see that much pressure toward the Pakistan and uh, preventing the government because majority of those groups are getting the green light from the Pakistani government so what is why the international committee is not taking the role of putting pressure on Pakistan to prevent uh, creation of these terrorist groups, or support from the government?
1: Well, one of the reasons is that the international community, um, not only the Western countries, but also India, they are clueless about how to handle uh, a a nuclear-armed military, Mm -hmm. and how to handle uh, uh, a state which is continuously dangling their uh, nuclear arms, uh, this is one of the reasons, uh, in my opinion, which prevents the international community to uh, to take any any concrete steps. And the second thing is, as far as the Western world is concerned, Europe and North America, all they want is uh, uh, to stop any jihad in, 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 in on their uh, soil, uh, and Pakistan is ready to oblige them. Mm-hmm. And they they don't care much uh, when it comes to India or uh, countries like uh, uh, Afghanistan. Yeah. And there is the to which I. Um, uh, partly agree is that uh, uh, in the West there is a feeling that uh, at some point in the future they may again have to use uh, jihadis against Iran.
0: Okay, okay, but but the uh, the the n- nuke uh, issue is not only from pa- in Pakistan we have it in the other countries, but when it comes to the human rights. I feel personally that you know countries like the U.S. and the Europe, they talk about this and they try to do something. But uh, I have seen less when it comes to Pakistan or India to put that pressure, and, and is always they doing their best to hide the situation or not talk about it and you know please the government, Pakistani or Indian government, rather than. Uh, Putting, you know, sanction or putting a pressure of, of uh, preventing those the countries from creating or funding those terrorist groups.
1: Yeah, you are right,
0: um, and the
1: reason is that uh, uh, the West still feels that they they need Pakistan and its uh, military uh, for the for their foreign policy objectives. Uh, uh, for example, in Afghanistan, and maybe in Iran. So this hey is there. this is Sorry. why uh, they do not uh, uh, they, they do not forcefully speak about human rights violations uh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: by 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 Pakistani military. Pakistani military has forcibly abducted uh, not hundred, but thousands of uh, innocent Pakistanis. Uh, and nobody is speaking about them in the West.
0: Uh, so another question that is come to mind is that, you know, Lashkar-e uh, Sahaba, Lashkar-e Jangbi, or uh, uh, what is called, Lashkar-e uh, Tayyibad, these groups that were rising in the region, how, many, how much support from the local they have? Is, is something that you know are they foreigner coming there and trying to create those groups and the government is funding them or we they have empathy of uh, uh, of the of the locals and support from the locals uh, towards you know uh, protecting uh, or uh, that region or cre- you know going against uh, what they call it, jihad or what, uh, you know, uh, going against the uh, infidels? Um,
1: Unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of support from the uh, common people to these jihadis. Uh, Because uh, for 70 years, Pakistanis have been uh, have been told and indoctrinated that uh, uh, India is a big uh, enemy and it must be fought. Pakistan army has failed to fight the perceived enemy and uh, uh, now there is a uh, uh, there's a thinking that maybe uh, they can win uh, with the help of uh, Islam Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, so there is a lot of uh, support, and let me tell you, the financial support to jihadis who go even to Kashmir or Afghanistan from Pakistan is very, very little. Uh, most of the funds uh, uh, for jihadis uh, come from uh, common people, from uh, mercantile class, from business class. Uh, and some from uh, Gulf states. Uh, there are people all over the world, uh, Pakistani diaspora, who send them money, and uh, sometimes they send the money in the name of mosques, uh, sometimes in the name of madrasas. Uh, but ultimately, it uh, goes uh, uh, to these groups uh, because these groups uh, have uh, are are built around a
2: network of mosques and mm-hmm. Um So I have a question. I think we were talking about, you know, Pakistan is very much like right in the center of, you know, promoting jihad. It's deep down, you know, uh, knee deep into it and doesn't seem like, you know, there's going to be any let up. It seems like it is going to be The fundamental part of Pakistan's policy for a long time. And yet we see that FATF is trying to remove Pakistan. We don't know yet. You know, in October it is going to do some kind of inspection. There's a 50-50 chance that Pakistan might get removed from FATF gray list. What do you think about it? Like, is it, you know, is it justifiable that when Pakistan is openly promoting jihad and and terrorism in, in the neighborhood, And FATF is, you know, trying to clear Pakistan of all these uh, um, allegations and, and, uh, and, you know, what is your take on it?
1: Yes, it it is very unfortunate that uh, it seems to me they will remove Pakistan from the uh, grey list and uh, Pakistan will be back on the white list. Um, And certainly it is not justified. Uh, but then, you know, states have their own priorities, own interests, and I think um, Pakistan has been able to blackmail them into doing this uh, uh, in, uh, be- because of the situation in Afghanistan. Uh, I think, uh, I don't know exactly what has been uh, going on Behind the scene, but definitely, uh, the objective um, uh, situation and uh, analysis will not uh, uh, let Pakistan uh, 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 Pakistan uh, be declared a safe country. No, it, it will be very, very unfortunate.
0: So if, uh, must have yeah, if if you wanna, if you uh, so, you know, what what we are seeing is that the lack of education from the Western countries to deal with some of these issues is uh, creating the you know safe haven for for the terrorist groups or the countries who are uh, funding the terrorist groups. Uh, if if you wanna put the, like one or two uh, productive uh, plan for educating the public of what is happening. Uh, obviously people who are hearing you know this podcast or hearing your commenters on the C-span and other uh, news uh, agencies they can understand and get they can get educated. But what are the main points that you think would be helpful to educate uh, the public and educate the government toward how to deal with the situation?
1: Well, as far as the government is concerned, uh, I don't think uh, uh, we need to educate them. Uh, They are definitely, uh, they have better knowledge than us. Uh, And as far as the public is concerned, uh, probably uh, neither in Pakistan nor in these countries, Public matters much when it comes to foreign policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, uh, the impact of uh, uh, podcasts uh, like this, or articles and books like mine, has a very, very little uh, impact on uh, on on them. And uh, I'm, I'm I'm very sure they they, they know. Uh, a, a lot more than what I and you know. Um, so I'm very, very uh, 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 what what should I say? Uh, maybe cynic is not the right word, but I don't really uh, see any uh, anything better coming up from trying to educate them.
0: Well, the, uh, the reason the reason I'm asking it, this is because uh, obviously the government's doing their homework and they know about uh, the situation. And the majority of the time, they intend to ignore it rather than uh, you know solve the issue. Uh, but the I have seen it in different countries that the locals or the people who have expertise of that region could give better uh, uh, educational material toward how to deal with the situations. When you're talking about the conflict resolution, there is so many things that the the locals or the experts who have studied that region and know the culture, know the the region, know the uh, uh, locals, they can give better better uh, way of uh, dealing with the issue.
2: L- let me Let me bring an example here, Mustafa. you know like uh, in Pakistan, there are so many Shia mullahs right now mm-hmm. who are trying to beg for Pakistani government and they're going to the Shias and saying, the Taliban that we have in Afghanistan now, they are different Taliban, they are new Taliban, they are not anti- Shia anymore, and they are our allies.
0: Which is so the I political think, you know, interest of the of the Iranian government to go toward that? Yeah, sure. Iranian,
2: yes, Iranian government definitely, but as well as ISI. ISI also want the Shia mullahs mm-hmm. to communicate to the Shias that you know we do not need to fear because these Taliban are very different. So I think what Arif, you know, uh, probably would agree with me here is that uh, since all these uh, you know issues are being dealt. Um, through the prism of religion and, you know, religious uh, clergy, whether Shia, Sunni, ahl Hadith hadis Diobandi, the they are very active trying to communicate and mollify the Pakistani public that, you know, these people are our friends and they will promote Pakistan's interest and they will bat for us and, you know, they will fight against the infidels along with us. So I think this is something, uh, Arif, what would you say about it? I, I entirely agree with you.
0: I Well, the the thing is, because of that, right now, you see, I mean, we don't want to make this podcast religious, but uh, we have seen uh, that uh, uh, right now there is a rise of scholars and the mullahs and the sheikhs who are saying that, you know, the way that we are seeing the situation is going on don't believe us go do your study go sit down and educate yourself rather than sitting and listening to my lecture and my point of view because they see that everything going south that people are taking the interest and taking the you know either they make they taking the money from the government or the groups or they are pushed and forced by the government or the groups to say some stuff and uh take the religion towards something that is not intended to be.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, there. there's this trend. Um, Arif, I, I always wanted to ask and, you know, we we uh, hang out and probably this question never came up, but I think today is, it's a good time to share it with public. Are you writing any new book? Uh, do you have any publication coming um, soon? Uh,
1: yes, I'm working on, I have Done a lot of research, and I have a lot of uh, um, material to write on. I'm actually last two years were very uh, bad as far as writing was concerned. Uh, but for the last uh, six to eight months, I have been trying to catch up. Yes, I have been working on uh, uh, another book. Uh, actually two books. One, I'm rewriting my articles uh, which are actually uh, as current as they were 20 years ago and uh, I'm trying to uh, uh, publish them in uh, uh, in a book form and also uh, writing uh, uh, another book uh about the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, So I think it will take another year or so uh,
2: before one of them. uh, So we will be um, keenly waiting for the new book. Um, I'm sure it will have uh, a lot of information for us um, regarding, you know, the, the situation that is evolving in Pakistan right now.
1: Yes, but at the same time, I have restarted writing articles for the last six months, uh, as you know, uh, on different aspects of uh, what's happening in that region. Uh, also, now I can write more freely uh, than when I was in
2: Pakistan. Would, would you like to share information about the website that you're running right now? I think it's called Alt Voices.
1: Yes, it's uh, Alternative Voices. Uh and it's, uh, and the URL is altvoices.org. I haven't been able to give much time to it, but uh, I'm definitely uh, planning to give more and more time to it now. Uh, There are some articles, and I think uh, uh, it it will uh, make you, uh, it will give you a new different perspective from uh, 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 perspective about what is happening in South Asia and uh, and uh, Central Asia, that is my plan. So uh, it would be, uh, I think, uh, very educational if you uh, keep visiting it from time to time.
0: Perfect, perfect, uh, Mr. Yeah. Arif, uh, I, you know. Being a human rights defender, being a journalist, uh, being an author or political commander, there's is, there's is ups and downs on it. Uh, when you wrote your books and when you were, you know, doing your research, I'm sure you have felt in your journey that, okay, what I'm doing, how much uh danger will bring toward me or my family and our intent is to highlight those issues as well as a human rights defender as a journalist who have this uh duty to tell the truth and bring the uh, actual event up uh how much of thought you put on it and how much you said that you know this is it is what it is i have to be me and talk about it because i don't i want to encourage the people who are listening if they have that uh, you know knowledge and if they have that uh, expertise to be like you and you know uh, write those books and uh, i have not read your books and but it's i wrote it in my list of the books that i have to read uh sengay is talking very good about them so it's, it's, uh, it's uh it's good to ha- get more knowledge so just, just give me a very brief, I know the time doesn't allow us to go through the whole journey, but give us a brief of how, you know, your journey and your steps will encourage people to do the same.
1: Well, if I um, narrate what I have been through, probably it will discourage everybody uh, to do uh, what I have been doing. Uh yes. I have seen death uh, very closely a few times and um, I really sometimes wonder how I have survived and probably I would not have survived if I had not left Pakistan on that day permanently. Mm -hmm. I left Pakistan in 2007, end of 2007 and uh, never went back, and probably will never go back. Um, It was my passion for human rights and uh, see my country of birth uh, as a prosperous, uh, democratic, uh, uh, modern country which kept me going. Uh, Otherwise, I think uh, uh, If you ask me now to go back and do what I had done, probably no, I wouldn't be able to do and uh, probably um, I I think that should be enough. uh,
0: but the listeners okay. <laughs> So that means you you would go take another path. But I always I always say and in every episode I, I repeat that. We ha- we don't know how much effect we have to the society and to the people around us. And with, you know, I have, gay through his work, mine, from, uh, through my work at Sierra Watch, I have seen so many cases, people that I talked to, who tell me that, okay, I wrote that article, you, uh, I read the article you wrote, or I listened to your, the situa- talk that you had, and it changed something in me, and it, it, it did something that I could I could take that, flag and go with it and and uh, and defend myself or write about what i i've been going through Uh, i'm sure you have heard it from the people as well so don't don't be discouraged that this is you know the situation every one of us in this path is not easy this path is uh, every one of us been through it, and I've seen the stuff that we, you know, mm-hmm. if right now tell uh, someone tell me, I would I would say the same thing. Maybe I would I wouldn't repeat that path. Uh, I don't know, Sengay. What, what what? I I think you know what um what I have realized
2: uh, uh you know from people like Arif Jamal and their work and the information they share is that. The Muslim regimes have committed so many crimes, grave, you know, situation that exists in all 56, 57 Muslim countries right now. Mm -hmm. The Muslim regimes have committed so much crime against their own people, the genocides that they have committed in Iran, in Turkey, in Afghanistan, in Pakistan. um, You know, Pakistan, what Pakistan did to Bangladesh, for instance, you know, what Saudi Arabia is doing, what Egypt has done, and, and so on and on and on. That we should, you know, bring our own house in order before we start blaming the West for human right violations and other issues. Right. Because You know, I have always said that, you know, for instance, almost three million people were killed by Pakistani military in Bangladesh. So there's no room for Pakistan or, you know, Iranian regime or Turkey. You know, Turkey's, like, entire uh, generations of Kurd, uh, you know, ethnic groups have been, you know, uh, completely eliminated in Turkey, right? So right. I think there's so much that needs to be done within our own societies first. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to mm-hmm. clean all the mess that, you know, our regimes create and the human rights violations that need to be documented. And you know, I think this is what of Jamal is doing, and you know, it's it's pretty um, commendable work.
1: Yes, Sange, I entirely again agree with you. Um, yes, it's our war, and we have to fight it. Nobody from the west will fight for us, and if even if they try to fight for us, they will not win. We may win if we uh, fight, but the. Uh, you know, there is some uh, light at the end of the tunnel, maybe. Uh, and that is, I see that the people in Pakistan, are uh, some people in Pakistan, at least, in my profession, in media, in human rights field, are probably more courageous and taking bigger risks than I took at that time. At that time, probably I was uh, one of the very, very, very few. Uh, and at that time, when I tried to uh, tell my colleagues, uh, they wouldn't even believe. But today, today, everybody seems to know, although they are helpless. And uh, today I have, I I, heard, I hear more voices uh, than at that time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people have finally lost their romance with the military. Right. That is, that is something
2: encouraging. Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of people say like, Senge, why don't you talk about Palestine? And I was like, look, um, there are probably less than 100 people killed in Gaza or the West Bank in the entire year. Mm-hmm. And in Pakistan, there are more than 200 people killed in, in a month or in a week belonging to lesser Muslims like Ahmadis or Shias or non-Muslims like Hindus and Christians and others uh, in the name of, you know, uh, preserving and promoting Islam or protecting Islam or something. You know, there's so much going on within Pakistan that we we cannot just use Palestine as an excuse to mask and shove everything under the carpet within our own societies so we can just distract our common, you know, the poor... uh, domestic population uh, with with Palestine and Kashmir. You know, we really need to take the responsibility and create a society that we could be, you know, proud of. And then we can say, okay, now we have time to, like, you know, look elsewhere because we have done enough work to, like, you know, make our own uh, societies, and our own countries, you know, livable, right? So this is, I think, something that, you know, uh, Mustafa and myself and RfU you, and so many other people, we are talking to, you know, this uh, Dr. Uh, Faisal from Malaysia the other day, and, you know, he is doing great work within his own country trying to, like, you know, promote um, minority rights. So I think this is something that, you know, I think that, that the youth and the generation, they need to, like, you know, the star need to realizing that using Palestine and Kashmir is not going to make the muslim world better and you know, it just, it is just going to help the regimes it is just going to help the military but it will never uh, fix problems within our own societies
0: definitely definitely as as you said Sange, we have so many issues in our countries and our regions that we can solve and you know promote and protest for rather than definitely we are defending the, the voiceless and the helpless but we if we are in the region that is has so much conflicts and so much issue let's you know talk about that more and solve that and with that help it would help us to to uh, be able to defend the other people as well well gentlemen thank you very much uh, you know uh, we almost talked for fifty minutes. The, the time fly fast, uh, re- Mister Arif. I really appreciate taking your time and talking to us. And I'm looking forward to read your books. And uh, just uh, to for my our listener to understand and know what are the best ways that we can uh, they can reach out to you and talk to you. Are Are you on the social media? Yes,
1: I am on Twitter, and my handle is. Uh, At Arif Jamal USA, Uh, I'm on the Facebook also. I think these are uh, uh, two good um, ways to reach out to me. Uh, And um, uh, usually people Google me and then find out how to get to me. And uh, I haven't heard anybody um, having any difficulty reaching out to me. Perfect,
0: perfect. We'll, yeah, we will put Good. that social media uh, handles on, the, on the, our podcast as well for our listeners who are uh, want to uh, talk to Mr. Arif and uh, get some insight. And also, uh, if I uh, remember right, it was altvoices.org as well that will uh, put a link in our podcast as well. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Arif. Thank you for your great work and, you know, keep it up.
0: You were listening to another podcast of Human Rights Sentinel.